The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hi there. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Before we get into the, the topics today, uh, if folks, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I want to promote another new podcast that's on the StarQuest Network. Um, and it's near and dear to my heart because it's called Raising the Bets, and it's a podcast that I do with my wife, Melanie, and it's our family podcast. We talk about what's going on with our family. We're a homeschooling family of five kids outside of Boston where we have all kinds of fun adventures, and we'll talk about things like what we're cooking and books we're reading and some of the interesting uh, discussions that we have uh, in our family or as a couple. Um, like this week, uh, we might be talking about how to make a livable neighborhood. What makes a neighborhood a good, livable community for the people who live in it? So that's a, as a bit of a preview. So it's called Raising the Bets. You can find it at sqpn.com slash bets. That's two T's, B-E-T-T-S. Uh, so and I'll, there'll be a link in the show notes in, in for the show as well. So if you go check it out, I'd appreciate it. So our first segment today, our first topic, we're going to be talking about something a little interesting. Maybe you haven't thought about it. Uh, you all might have uh, a lot of people now have an AI or smart assistant of some sort in their home. Uh, I have a an Amazon Echo nearby. We'll call her the A Lady, uh, or uh, you might have a Google Home, uh, the 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 G Lady, or the the S Lady in your Apple devices. And uh, which is very funny because you can't say their names because they'll all jump up and start talking to you at once. But but one of the things that kind of comes up about it is we have like, I mean, I'm of the age where this is like living in the Jetsons. I mean, this is so futuristic, this futuristic to me. You know, when I was a kid, the idea that when I could talk to the house and it was respond, that was science fiction. But now we have these things and they've become part of our lives. And some people have started wondering. Should we be polite to our smart assistants? Now, this has come up before. And uh, in fact, I think this I, we had a, a quick, a very quick discussion about this with uh, Thomas and Herho uh, once. And uh, but I want to come back to this and do a little bit more of a discussion and talk about, you know, is it important to be polite to your smart devices uh, when when you converse with them? And there are there are different sides of this and, and some good arguments on either side. So uh, first, I just want to lay it out to both of you uh, just to throw it out there first. What do you think? Do, should we should we say please and thank you and be polite to the AIs in our home? Or is it just, you know, we should just they're just devices and machines and it doesn't matter. Um, and, and in fact, some people say uh, because they're devices and machines, we should not treat them like like we would persons. Uh, so that we don't confuse. So, Jack, what do you think? So I think for me and I think for most adults, it's easy for us to differentiate between an AI and a person because we haven't really, most of us haven't grown up with that kind of technology. But I think about it a lot for my kid. Like if I'm using um, my phone around my kid, I tend to say please and thank you to it just because for him to see you talking to someone and then to be to not be polite, that kind of that doesn't reinforce that behavior you want with kids. And they're not really able to differentiate at that point, which also raises a weird question about how to teach your kids that this computer that is talking to them is not actually a person. But I I think that for kids, at least, it can be beneficial to be polite. OK, OK. Uh, Pat, what do you think? What is your take on this? Well, I agree that uh, I believe it's a good example for kids, but. I find myself when I'm telling Alexa I'm going to sleep, good night, and she says something, I say thank you. And I don't know what is making me do that except just maybe the age I grew up in, that you said thank you. Now, I don't always say please tell me something, but I often will say thank you. And she usually says, I am here to serve <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Right. So 
I've I've been doing some research and I've seen people come down on both both sides of this. And one of the points of view says, um, I'm polite to my. This is a, from an article uh, on the Verge from 2017 by uh, Chaim Gartenberg, who says, I'm polite to my smart assistants because I want to be polite to people too. And reinforcing rude habits seems like a bad idea. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what you, I think what you both were saying was uh, we, we should be polite to them, because not because it matters to them. They're just machines and algorithms and programming, but it matters to us. It changes our, the way we behave and act changes us. Right. Uh, but, but would that be a fair characterization of your of your point of view, Jack? Yeah, I think that's that's what I'm saying. And it's going to be interesting to see the, how the conversation evolves when we get things like androids, where it's going to not only sound like a human, but also look like a human. Right, right. And the, because of those, the, the inability, as it gets harder and harder to distinguish between a real person and, and a machine, I'm trying to think of with my own kids, I, it, it doesn't appear to me that they're, uh, when they use the, the 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 devices, you know, they use the Echo uh, mainly. That's the one that they usually talk to. They it doesn't seem like they're treating it either especially rudely or or much like a person. I think it's they they just kind of for them it's become a thing where you just it's something you you it's just another way of giving commands to a thing. We you know I grew up typing <laughs> commands to a computer. They grow up right. talking to them, and it's just another a way of of getting a machine to respond. So, uh, so it's interesting, you know, once the machines start looking like people, whether that's going to make a difference. And I guess uh, you could use, talk about how, I wonder if people thought the same thing when television was first coming out, where it looks like there's a person in that box, but there's not. And we all know, like, that's not a person that, that hasn't really been an issue for people to adapt to that technology. So it may be something similar where it just doesn't end up becoming a big deal and we just adapt. I was thinking of something else, too, that there are people who have had damaged vocal cords and that do use a synthesizer box to speak. I remember when I worked at the hospital years and years and years ago, we had somebody come to check out that had an artificial voice. And so I think if we err on the side of saying, I'm assuming I'm talking politely like I would talk to anybody else, whether it's a mechanical sounding voice or not, I think we're doing ourselves a favor. and 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 uh, trying to provide a, a, a good influence. That's a good point. Uh, Jack, I wanted to come back to something you said about the technology as it changes and, you know, did people treat, like, TV differently? Uh, it re- reminded me of a story I heard from years ago, and I forget who told it to me, so I'm so, I, I, I wish I could attribute it. But they said when, back in the day when uh, Fulton Sheen was on TV, uh, this, this guy's uh, elderly aunt would dress up in her best dress and put on her pearls hmm. to sit and listen to, you know, and, and, and watch the show and would respond to the Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen uh, to, on TV. And when he, the children acted up, she'd shush them and then, and then say, I apologize for their poor behavior. Oh, your, wow. your <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's a, it could be a little bit of that, you know, we're just trying to, you know, get our, wrap our heads around a technology that, is a lot it, it simulates a a way of interacting with people or a relationship that we've had with with other people that is different now um it it looks like it but it's not the same right Bes- besides we should get used to being polite to our new overlords <laughs> yes there's yeah, always that don't want them to get mad. <laughs> i was going to say i grew up with uh data so that kind of i guess that colors my opinion of ai that, well that's true right data from star trek yeah the, you know, one of the things, so I, if I could, I, I'm going to try to summarize Thomas's argument here that he made when when we t- uh, talked about this, uh, which is that it's important to make a distinction between the technology and people, and that we should not treat uh, objects like people because there's the danger of treating people like objects. Um, what what do you think of what do you think of that argument? I mean, it's not this for me. There's a little bit of compelling argument in that, and and and, right. and I'd like to I need to I need to tease that out a little bit. But what do you think of that? I think with most things, it's about moderation and just about how your behavior is. Like I tend to when I'm talking to my pets, I tend to be polite to them just because I if I'm talking, I'm going to be polite. Um, 
but yeah, I think that I think it's important to remember that it is a tool. It's not a person we're talking to, and to not replace your human relationships with that. And I was just thinking about how I feel like nowadays we even we end up talking to our devices and then just texting our friends. <laughs> right, that's true. This is true. Yeah, there's an article I'm going to link saying uh, from so the, so there's the one I mentioned from The Verge. There's another one from a website called Made for Voice. I'm trying to see if I didn't see the the name of the person who wrote it here, but they take that opposite view where we should we shouldn't try to be polite with uh, necessarily be polite with with these devices. I think they kind of fall in the I'm not sure what to do, but I'm leaning against the enforcing polite behavior with them because of I think from a te- I think they're approaching from a technological uh, standpoint, which is politeness adds um uh, fuzziness or ca- chaos into the interaction the user interface mm-hmm. with it and so it 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 means that the 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 devices have to work harder to parse out what it is we're actually trying to say right i think it's pretty easy though for alexa or siri to ignore please or to put it in a different category i think that at least my interactions have shown that yeah there's a distinction there yeah, I, I think a lot of people there was like, for example, when someone Googles a, you know, they want to look something up on Google by typing. I think people even now they still they they, they often type in sentences. Yeah. Please, you know, tell me That's where I can find et cetera, et cetera, where they're putting all this extra information in that is completely superfluous to the actual search that the system has to wade through to get to the key words that it wants to, you know, tell me where I can, you know, what the, the hours of business are for, you know, John's pub down on the corner. And it's got to figure out what you mean by that, where you just say uh, business hours, John's pub and address, you know, <laughs> and you put the address, right. that's a much simpler interaction. So th- I thought that was an interesting way of approaching this is not so much from the sociological relational, but from a, 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 a computer user interface uh, question so there's so there's that one there's that that level of, of of concern well i do understand the the possibility that a child might not understand that that is a a learning device or that is a uh ai device i had a nephew that had an hour-long conversation with alexa and the next day <laughs> my brother got two pair of cheerleader boots in the mail from amazon <laughs> Because in the conversation that he found the um, the transcript for, he actually had been talking with Alexa about the cheerleaders that were on the screen and about their boots and how pretty they are and all that type of thing. And so he had to put a, a code to say, here's a code that I use when I really want to order something. <laughs> nice. Well, in fact, that's an interesting point you make because I have an article here from last year uh, that um, – Amazon uh, it had implemented these free time parental controls in its Echo devices, uh, and uh, one of the so the uh, and, and by the way we have actually had people request that when we talk about these things we don't use the actual wake words <laughs> so just because <Yes. laughs> people's devices keep waking up and 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 so that's why I keep trying to say Echo and uh, you know Home Assistant or a lady uh, but. Um, they implemented these free these free time parental controls, and one of them was to, to do just that to put uh, a lock on ordering things through the device, which is it makes eminent sense, reasonable, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, is it included this magic word feature, which again is, is trying to help train kids to be polite. So when a child says, "A lady, please tell me what five plus seven is," the voice not only gives them the correct answer. But then we'll add a positive reinforcement of the type. By the way, thanks for asking so nicely. Uh, as a re- positive reinforcement to children, and and that's a that's an interesting. I mean, it, it appears to me that that's where Amazon wants us to go. And and in fact, when you are polite, I, I find that sometimes I'll tell you know turn off the turn off the office lights as I'm going to bed, and, and we'll say uh, and, and they'll say uh, I've turned off the lights for you, and I say thanks, and they'll say you're welcome, like like you mentioned, Pat, and and it, it's sort of. I don't it's know. It makes, it makes it a, a a more pleasant experience than just commanding something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I kind of fall come down on the side of saying please and thank you. 
why not be polite? It doesn't right. cost anything. Right, exactly. But my dad trained me into that. So was like from a very <laughs> young age, it was always to say please and thank you, especially to people you don't know. Uh, you know, when you're when you're working with people who are doing something for you. So uh, I I will I will keep doing that in honor of my dad. So anything else you got uh, on this, Jack? Oh, just I figure when Skynet comes, at least I'll know I was nice. <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, may I have another? <laughs> so, uh, all right. That's a, I think that's a good discussion. So, folks, if you have a, a, an opinion on this, we'd love to hear it from you. You can email us at technology at sqpn.com, or you can go to our Facebook page and or our Twitter, which is at sqpn. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Media, and leave a comment and let us know what you think. Should we be polite to these devices, or uh, does it is it teaching us to treat objects as like we treat human beings uh, and, and maybe making a confusion. We, I'd love to hear from you on what you think of that. So let's go into our second topic for this week, which is uh, it's based on something I got from a, one of my Facebook friends who asked, what is the best phone ecosystem for someone like me who wears uh, a hearing aid? And uh, I, and, and I said, I honestly, the only person I know who wears hearing aids and uses them with my phone is my father-in-law, Randy, that's Pat's husband. And uh, and so I thought maybe we should talk about this. Uh, Jack, I don't know if you have any special insight or anything to offer here, but you, please feel free. But I thought, Pat, I'm sure you must have <laughs> talked to, to some people and especially helped Randy pick out uh, hearing aids and, the, and, and dealt with connecting with the phone when he went through that uh, process. So I wonder if you could tell me what do you think which is you know, which is better iPhone Android or is there even a difference uh, for hearing aids? Okay, originally uh, the iPhone had the made for iPhone uh, push because they're really big into disability and accessibility, and so they did a lot to make hearing aids compatible with their phone from the beginning. Android has been catching up. But because it, there are so many different models of Android and brands of phones, it's been real hard to come up with standards. But Google has just recently gone through a push where they say that they're going to work on something as a native thing for its operating system that is independent of the manufacturers and of the uh, versions of Android. I guess you assume, though, you would have to have a fairly recent version to get that particular feature. Um, at the time we got it, we already had an iPhone. So it was an older model, but the audiologist, who is extremely important in this process of picking out hearing aids, don't go to the local, you know, uh, discount place. You really need a good audiologist. So she talked from her experience with him about which hearing aids were out there, which ones work best with iPhone and which ones would work for him with his particular condition. So I think you have to start with the audiologist. But at this point, iPhones still have a larger work right out of the box type thing with most hearing aids. Where Android, there is a list of ones that do work with them and, and that are, uh, it's, it's much more compatible than it used to be. However, I just had a, a gentleman with a hearing aid that I saw last weekend that he basically said he had just switched from Android, which he loved, to iPhone because he was having so much trouble with his hearing aids. And his audiologist told him the same thing, that the Apple environment at this point is still much more uh, accessible. And I would say, again, get one of the major brands, not an off-brand, if you've got a problem with trying to connect it with a phone. Uh, Phonak and Widex, and there's a couple of others that are big name brands, and they have apps specifically made for them that work with your hearing aids. Uh, most of them all, you know, are all Bluetooth, and you know the amount of problems sometimes there is with pairing and <laughs> unpairing, and that's been right. a real stress. Right. If they could ever come up with some other mechanism other than Bluetooth, that would be even better. But right now, that's what we've got. It would be nice if if they could if Apple would license that W1 chip that they use in their AirPods that make it so easy to connect things via Bluetooth. I mean, even the AirPods have their issues sometimes, but it's so much better than uh, Bluetooth has been 
uh, it's just the regular old Bluetooth. Um, so yeah, that that's something to consider. I also ran across an article that would talk, which talked about that uh, they're actually coming up with a type of technology that will work with any phone, not just a smartphone with Bluetooth for some hearing aids. And they, it, uh, I'll have to put that in the show notes. But basically, it was just saying that you didn't necessarily have to have an Android or an iPhone if you had this particular type of hearing aid. It was made for all phones type thing. So, but so far, the, the Apple ones have, uh, Apple with, with his hearing aids have worked pretty well. And it's not just the hearing aids with the phone, with the iPhone, but also they have devices that will let you cook it into your TV. And they have devices, uh, that would, uh, basically your PC or your Mac could talk to them. Although he's had some trouble with, uh, it's a very low frequency or very low power Bluetooth in the hearing aid and our, his Mac mini doesn't always pick it up. It oh. doesn't always connect, but with the, the hearing aid and the phone, they, they work real well. And iPad, iPad also well. So does, with it, when it's connected to the phone, does it give you anything more than just, um, you know, being able to take a call or listen to a, you know, the, the sound of a video. I mean, do, are there additional features that connected to a phone give you for a hearing aid? Like, um, does it give you, you know, I, th I think I recall somewhere like that, that with the iPhone, it actually, uh, the phone itself will help pick up sound in a noisy ambient sound. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is something about, a. a Oh dear, I'm trying to what the term was. It was not like living, but it was like active sound or something live like that. Live listen, could, I think it was. That's it, yeah. yes, live okay. listen, that you could either turn on or off. And most of the time, I know my husband would prefer to have ambient sounds turned off because they're so distracting for him. But yet, where if you were in an environment where you still needed to hear those people in the office talking to you, even though you were listening on the phone, then yes, I could see where that could be real helpful. Uh, but I know a lot of hearing aids have a directionality that you can turn off anything coming from the rear, or you can uh, make sure that it's focused in a very narrow path to help in a restaurant and things like that. But it's been invaluable for him being able to to listen to scripture at the same time he's reading it, for instance, or to uh, listen to podcasts or listen to lectures uh, through his hearing aids rather than having to deal with trying to pump the volume up real high on a set of headphones. Right, right. Yeah, that that's that's interesting. It, Apple has really taken making strides, I know, uh because I I'm, I have an iPhone with their accessibility issues and uh I'm looking forward to some of the stuff they've got coming up in the fall in iOS 13 and iPadOS uh with accessibility a couple like they have a voice control where you it'll put a grid, a numbered grid on the screen and you can control things by having a touch within that grid. And uh, so for people who have issues with um, use of their hands, um, especially I think folks maybe like with Parkinson's or any kind of tremors or people who's, um, they don't have uh, sensations in their fingers sometimes with some certain kinds of neuropathy. So that's a really excellent thing. So they got some really cool stuff coming uh, in the fall for that. And so I'm really, I'm really grateful for how much these companies are doing to make these, products accessible to a wide audience. Uh, it's really nice to see. I have a client that I saw today that she had a stroke, and so she's partially paralyzed uh, on one side of her body. And so it's very difficult for her to use her hands to control the iPhone to double tap or to, she can, she can manage the squeezing up to zoom in and out, but trying to get to the right icon or trying to get to one of those other, you know, like, push here and now copy and paste, you know, those are things are beyond her. So I've got blind people who are my clients that totally use a phone and they just run their fingers down it and it speaks to them and they tap on the thing twice and off they go. But it's the people who have mo motion movement that I'm seeing more trouble with right now. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. So hopefully that voiceover makes these things more accessible and, you know, to connect it back to our first segment, the, as these AIs, these smart assistants get better, we may, hopefully we become less reliant on having to touch the screens 
and we can just command them to do what we need them to do. <laughs> well, she that's one of the things that we also worked with her today is is the S lady as well as the G uh device in her in her house to be able to have her call her mom or call her aunt and uh we had some things to go through setting those up. But yes, those are the things that are going to really help my my clients with a disability. I wonder how these devices do, the smart assistants do, with people who have speech problems. Uh, Difficult. Yeah. Or even accents. Scottish accents are real bad. I think I saw a funny video about a, Sc- a Scottish uh, 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 A-lady, <laughs> which was uh, very – oh, no, it was a uh, – it was an elevator, a voice-controlled elevator with two Scotsmen in it who could not get off oh, yes. the elevator. That was a, that was a good one. Um, so, okay. Thank you so much. That was, uh, I think that was a, a good segment, and hopefully that will help some folks who might have been wondering about these things, with, especially with hearing aids. And, uh, and so, if, again, if, if you have questions, if you have uh, any comments you'd like to add, or if you've, if you've got some information on this topic that we didn't cover, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, technology at sqpn.com. So let's uh, move on to our next segment. Then uh, we're moving right along right now. It's, I have to warn you, folks. This is the, at this part of the summer. There's not a whole lot of actual <laughs> tech news out there. I mean, there's still news out there. We'll be covering it as we go along. But uh, we, the the episodes might be a little shorter than we've had in the past as we cover some of these things. You know, from week to week. Uh, and we've got some actually interesting topics coming up in the in the near future. I I want to talk about. Um, coming up in 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 future in future weeks soon, this issue of nine one one on your smartphone and whether it can accurately bring emergency responders to your location. And there has been a case here in Boston of a woman who died sitting on a bench outside an emergency room of a hospital. Who she was she couldn't she couldn't breathe and couldn't get inside and dialed nine one one and no one found her. Uh, no, it was too late, gosh. and because it it sent the emergency personnel to the bottom of the hill three blocks away or something like that. it was like the 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 accuracy of the location. So I want to talk we'll talk about that coming up. Um, there's some things having to do with uh, fertility tracking apps and uh, and whether uh, it's the, the this idea that it's some nefarious idea that pro-lifers might be behind some of them and. And therefore, maybe some uh, women women are being told that maybe you shouldn't use these apps because pro-lifers are behind it. Uh, so we'll talk about that and, and some of the things that I'd like to talk about, um, these deep fake videos that are coming out where we see uh, uh, they can make video videos of people, of, of famous people, politicians, celebrities, CEOs, whatever, saying all kinds of things that they aren't actually saying. We're, we're in that time period now where... We, we we've gone from Photoshop photoshopping pictures to photoshopping essentially video, and that's uh, that's kind of scary. So we get all these things coming up over the next few weeks where we want to talk about it. But uh, uh, but this week uh, we're just doing some of these these topics we're doing now. Uh, I want to move on to something a little bit of a, a tips of the week segment. We're not going to do this all the time, but uh, I thought I'd mention a couple different tips have come up. And uh, Jack, I kind of sprung this on you because I didn't tell you ahead of time. But if you have a tip of the week. Uh, that you want to contribute, I'll come back to you and you can let me know if you have it. But uh, my first tip is uh, has to do with the Mac OS and the uh, coming upgrade from the current operating system, Mojave, to Catalina, which is coming up this fall. Catalina is the operating system that Apple just revealed at its WWDC developer conference. And uh, it's one of the things that it's going to do is, and Apple has been warning this for a while, is certain kinds of apps are going to stop working in the future. And maybe I can get one of you to explain in layman's terms what the difference is between a 32-bit app and a 64-bit app is. Um, I, I don't know if uh, if either of you have that off yeah. the top of your Jack, what, what's, what's the difference between a 32-bit and a 64? It's basically the architecture behind the way the app is written. So 32-bit apps use... 32-bit architecture, 64-bit apps use 64-bit architecture, and there can be some crossover, but basically it limits the processing power. And so a lot of companies at this point, this is the same thing on Windows and Mac, a lot of uh, systems at this point just go with 64-bit. I run into that all the time at work with um, the different versions of Office where you cannot have them installed concurrently. So is it sort of like if if uh, there's been... Uh unleaded gas and leaded gas or premium gas like or or diesel versus uh regular gas like you can't 
you, there there are some hybrid systems that'll that'll run both kinds of fuel, but but if you do that, it kind of holds the whole thing back. I mean, is that kind of what we're we're saying here? Well, to me, it's almost more like uh, you've got the difference between an uh, eight track, a cassette, and a DVD. You know, you've got sometimes you've had devices that could run all of them, but as time goes on, it's dropping off the older devices that won't work anymore. Okay, and yeah, that's how I see analogy. it. Yeah, and so thirty-two bit staying compatible with thirty-two bit devices uh, is holding back uh, the 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 uh, the the sixty-four bit operating systems from being as powerful as they can be. I I assume that's that's what we're talking about. Um, yeah, it's just getting rid of a lot of legacy support. Okay, so Apple has been warning folks for a while that uh, in, in fact you may have if you have a, a Mac you you might have been seeing these pop up. Uh, you know, you your uh, this software will not be run on a future version of the operating system. These sort of dire warnings to folks, um, and we've we don't know what that future is. You know, they haven't really told us. Well, some of the some developers are being a bit proactive about it and are starting to notify their users that as of Catal if they upgrade to Catalina this fall or to one of the betas this summer. Uh, that their software will stop working. This older software that they haven't been updating, um, that they have no intention of updating. And sometimes people are reliant on this software to maintain certain, say, business functions, or people have been keeping their their finance software in this very old package, this very old software package that hasn't been upgraded in years, but they didn't want to upgrade it yet. Uh, and and getting to the point now where you've got to make a decision. Am I going to look for something new or am I going to try to stick it out and keep this computer running on this old operating system as long as I can. But, and, and we've seen this happen before. I did this for a while when uh, Apple went from uh, OS Mac OS nine to Mac OS 10. Uh, and when we went from, uh, was it carbon? To, uh, we, uh, they, they've had a few times where they've changed the, the architecture and you had to make this leap with software and you kind of hold back a while. The thing is, is it's not necessarily a good idea to hold back because, well, I'm sure Apple will continue to make uh, security upgrades and other things for Mojave for a while. They're not going to do it forever. And security upgrades are more important now than ever on our connected devices. Um, it's it, it becomes less and less advisable to keep running older operating systems that aren't being patched and upgraded. Um, and so it's a it's it's a real important inflection point for us. I I don't know how, you know if you guys have any insight in that for folks in general. But one of the ways you can see on a Mac anyway whether you have 32-bit software. And I'm I'm going to kind of uh, walk you through this quickly, and you can try this on your computer if you're not at your computer now. You can try it at home. I'll try to get a link to this in your uh, in the show notes. But if you open up the Activity Monitor software. Uh, it's in the utilities folder inside the applications folder. And if you go to, if so, and you go to the U CPU tab, and then in the menu, go to view columns, and there is a column that says, let's see, kind, I think it is. Yes, kind. And make sure that's checked. And then you'll see a a, a, a column to the right side of the of the activity monitor window. You might have to scroll to the side to see it. Uh, if your window's not big enough, or just make the window bigger, it'll say 64-bit or 32-bit. If you click on the, the header at the top that says kind, it'll sort based on that column, and you might have to click it twice to get the 32-bit ones to the top. And and if you have any 32-bit software, it'll show up there. So like right now, I have three pieces of 32-bit software running, and this only shows you when it's running. It's not showing you everything possible on your hard drive. And I have, uh, let's see, my Epson scanner, scanner monitor software, which I don't think I actually need. I don't think I have that Epson software, uh, Epson printer anymore. So I, I could probably get rid of that. I'm not worried about that. And, oh, call recorder agent, which is a, a Skype recording software. That's actually pretty important. And I'm hoping that that gets upgraded. And so I'm going to be keeping track of these things. Um, there's a, There might be another way to look at what's on your system as well. Again, for, for, for your Mac and under Mojave and earlier, if you go to the about so the Apple menu about this Mac, and then you go to, and I'm doing this on the fly because I just realized, I think that this, this is here. This, I think it's, um, 
It might be system report, but it might not be. Let me just double check here. Software. There's a software section, and I think it will... There's a section that says legacy software, and that might actually be what I'm looking for. So it looks like it's, go, it's probably going through everything. And yes, okay. So it'll go through and it will uh, make a list of all... So it's calling legacy software, all the software that is 32-bit on your system. So I've got oh something from Adobe, which I'm going to guess that they're going to get right on that and fix it, a major company like Adobe. Uh, and... Uh, let's see steam which is from valve it's a game system and so i've got several things oh very important is my audio editing software from isotope uh they better fix that or we're not gonna have podcasts come out to you soon so uh these are all things that are going to have to get upgraded soon uh from from the developers in fact uh let's see it looks like imovie has some uh, uh elements to it so from apple so they're still gonna get networking now again it's not certain that all this software will stop working when Catalina comes out. But but some of it, developers have started to warn people, like, look, this isn't going to work. I, I got an email from Aspire, which is a game maker, saying, hey, all, all of these games from the past, are, are we're not updating them to work on 64-bit. So once if you upgrade to Catalina, these won't work. So just, just so you know, just so you're aware, um, if you've got some software in your system that's older, you might want to either find uh, updates for it, and if there aren't updates, start thinking about whether you want to hold off on upgrading or find an alternative piece of software that's up to date and will do it for you. Very good. Any anything you want to add to any of that? Uh, if I pretty much covered that, uh... no, I'm beginning. I'm beginning to see clients that are asking me about that. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna start being important. Uh, how how is this different? Any different on Windows? Is Windows still supporting 32-bit software? They are, and I don't think that's going to go away soon because Windows has such a big presence in the business and government communities, and so many of the programs, especially in government, are really old and archaic, so oh, yeah. there's no way they're going to be able to move away from that anytime soon. No, but there are a lot of my clients who have, uh, say, Windows 7 machines, and they had already run through the hurdle of older software wouldn't work on Windows 7. Now they're looking at having to move to Windows 10 and there are certain versions of Office that will no longer run on Windows 10. So it's more like versions, not just 1632, 64-bit. Right. Okay. It's, it's, it, there, there's a lot of that compatibility issue already. All right. Well, it's something to, something to keep aware of and you know, keep, keep in touch with your tech friends or a tech consultant, who, especially if you have a business, a good tech consultant, to help you sort this out. That's for sure. Uh, Pat, do you have a tip of the week for us? Uh, I saw you had mentioned something online that looked interesting. Yes, uh, Samsung evidently put out a Twitter notice telling people that they needed to be scanning their smart TVs for malware and even had a little diagram of how you went through the menus to get to that point to scan it because they have a built-in, quote, antivirus or uh, malware scanner. And this, there was a great uproar in the, in the people saying, well, you know, my TV's going to get a virus? <laughs> well, evidently, they're running a version of, of an operating system. I thought it was Android, but it's not. And uh, I had it just a second ago. But at any rate, they're, they're some other operating system. And I don't know whether it's a Linux space or what it is. But basically, you could get malware. The likelihood is very small. And so they've removed their tweet. But I have a link that we can put in the show notes. If you want to know how to do it, it there's a, a quick one, two, three, how to get there and do the scan. But that, you know, kind of brings up the whole uh, Internet of Things and malware running on. Uh, I had a client that had a malware running on their their uh, home security system because it was it was Linux based and he didn't have a password that was more than A, B, C, D, E. So it, we're going to see more of this. It's just that Samsung kind of freaks people out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would freak me out if I have to worry about a, a uh, virus in my TV. You know, you already have people worrying about their TV listening to them. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you, yeah. well, that's the thing is if your TV can listen to you and it can get a virus, maybe I shouldn't be worried about uh, Samsung listening to me. Maybe I should be worried about some nefarious per people otherwise listening in on my in my house. Yeah, that's that is concerning. 
It actually brings to mind that um, how Apple mentioned again, uh, going back to Apple at their their keynote about they're getting HomeKit enabled routers, and one of the things that the, that it will do is, is it's going to um, cre- it can cre- create a segregated Wi-Fi network just for your Internet of Things devices that are HomeKit compatible, in, so that they're not on the same network uh, as your computers and phones and iPads and things like that. So. Uh, Hopefully, the networking folks and 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 these Internet of Things folks who kind of get on top of it, it, it really makes me like in general. I try to stay away from off-brand or no-name uh, Internet of Things devices because of this. Um, but as we see, even the big names, well, I mean, the, the big names are concerned about it, and maybe they're doing more about it. So, um, all right, well, that's a that's a good uh, uh, tip, and I'm definitely gonna put the link to that in the show notes. Um, Jack, like I said, I didn't, I I sprung this on you last minute. Did you have a tip for folks this week? Yeah, I actually have one. If you use office, if you use office 365, either at work or at, um, in your business, if you ever get an email that purports to be from Microsoft about your account to reset it, don't click any links in it. Honestly, if you get any emails about anything for office 365, if you're at home, just go straight to the browser and log in with your password. Or if you're at work, just check with your IT person because I've seen so many that purport to be from Microsoft for Office 365 that are links to malware. Very good. I'd like to I'd like to add something to that. The statistic I saw today is that one in a hundred emails that are going into businesses, especially but even homes, are phishing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and a big problem. So it's a huge problem because there's several worms that are just now coming out that if people haven't patched and they click on one of these things, it can spread like wildfire. Yeah. 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 It definitely. You've got to, it, I mean, the people listening to this, you may be a sophisticated user, but I guarantee there are people in your lives who are not, and you need to help them and educate them uh, that they need to not click on links in emails. Uh, even if they look like they come from people they know, double check, make sure, call always the person. Go to the website. You always just yeah. go to the website. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I saw today that a that a uh, what was it a county government or town or town government in Florida is paying uh, a a ra- ransomware ransom to get their files unlocked because somebody clicked on a link and yep then they got all their files uh, locked by by hackers. Um, gosh, I'm guessing someone had some stupid bad password. <laughs> we tied yeah, to a probably. password security recently, so uh, that's very very good. So yeah, always go. To the website. So if you see something from your bank that says there's a problem with your account or that you need to check your account, don't click the link. Open your browser. Type in the, the address. Type in the uh, Microsoft.com or type in whatever it is, but don't click the link. Well, the other thing I've just seen recently is even if you think you're on a particular website, like I had a client with an Epson printer that he was on the Epson site looking for drivers. He got a pop up saying, if you need more help here, call this Epson hotline. It was not. Ooh. It was a malware, and it was a it was a browser add-on that was redirecting and popping this stuff up. Mm. And so he called me after the guy got into his machine and made a mess. Oh, oh wow! Uh, that's a good point. I had a friend who mentioned that uh, they they went to a uh, website to read an article. It was just a regular article, and it, you know some of these websites want you to register, like you know, to get a user ID and password. Uh, in order to read their content or whatever, and that's that's one thing. But then they said they wanted to, them to install a browser extension in order to be able to use their site. And the person was asking, "Does this sound kosher?" And I said, "No, no. There is no reason a website should require you to install a browser extension because if you install a browser extension, you are basically giving them an inside the back door access to your your web browser and what you're doing on you know everything you do on your on your on your browser potentially. Yeah. So right. that's sort redirect of you in a whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and pop ups, that sort of thing. So that's that's uh that's also good advice. Don't don't let you know be careful about browser extensions. Just stick with adblock. Yes. Adblock plus and uh maybe Adobe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I use the Brave uh web browser the which is a version of Chrome, which is uh security conscious. So uh that's that's another good one. All right. Very good. Those are some good tips. So let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, Pat, what's your pick of the week? I have a lot of clients that don't have a lot of data, but if they lost it, they'd be sad. 
And there are a lot of times they're elderly or low income people that really don't even think they can afford the $7 a month that Carbonite or one of these other backup services would do. And if you have a Google account, then you can use part of your 15 gigabytes of Google space to back up your documents and your desktop, either on a Mac or a PC. Uh, and of course, if you want to tell it to put all your photos in the cloud, you can also do that as well. But that usually takes people much over the 15 gigabytes free. But so for some of my clients, just setting them up a Google account, even if they didn't have one, and letting it do the backup and sync at least gets their documents and desktop saved for them. The downloads are not there. Other things are not there, but at least they've got those things protected. Very good. And Very, it's free. Yep. Yeah, good, free, basic backup. Uh, even a, even um, a, a basic backup is better than no backup. Right. And it's in the cloud, which means that it's it can't be destroyed by a fire or tornado. Exactly. Excellent. That's a good one. And I would um I would add that for Google Photos, as long as you're not uploading the full size photo, you can upload unlimited photos. So as long as you do high quality other than full size, that's what I do with mine. Yeah. Yes, I have um my photos are in the Apple ecosystem, but I also have Google Photos backing up because my photos are precious and <laughs> I saved them. They're yes. they're actually backed up in I think four places. They're they're in Amazon Glacier. <laughs> <laughs> by way of my uh, network attached storage, they're in Google Photos and they're in the in iCloud. So, and I have a copy in Dropbox. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, they're not going anywhere. Uh, good, good, good advice. Good tips and picks. Uh, Jack, what's your pick of the week? I, I think this one's going to cost me money. Yeah, this one. When you tell someone to spend a hundred dollars on a keyboard, most of the times they look at you like you're crazy. But honestly, um, I got a mechanical keyboard from WASD Keyboards. And it's been fantastic, and I would 100% recommend it. Um, I think it runs between 100 to 129 for the base models, depending on like what keycaps you get. There's different options. Um, and you can do um, custom colors. You can do custom uh, text on yours. I had a friend who got one where it was all black keys, uh, a black base, and then no letters on it at all. Because <laughs> apparently that's how he wants to Stealth. type. But <laughs> wow. it makes a difference, especially if you're typing a lot. It really makes a difference on your fingers, and it helps with carpal tunnel. So I would definitely recommend that. Yes, I, I, I love mechanical switch keyboards. Uh, we, I've talked about it before on this on the show, and, and, and I've been asked you know, by folks, you, know, you haven't recommended one, and it's because I haven't yet settled on one that's, that's perfect. Uh, I'm, right now I'm using a Corsair mechanical keyboard, which I like, except it has this weird double typing thing where if I type, if I'm typing, it'll type keys twice, and it kind of drives me a little crazy. Uh, I have looked at the WASD, and those are those those are the ones that I would. I, I think if I were to, to splurge uh, and buy one, that might uh, that might be what I would go out and get. Yeah, and you can also pick from all the different uh, cherry switches, so right, you can you can customize. I I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have the MX Reds, and they're really nice. The only thing that I was slightly disappointed about is that I could not find a keycap color scheme that matched the um, L cars from Next Generation. But once I find that, it'll be perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> yeah, you know, I actually picked up the um, the the Cherry MX Switch tester. I have one of those here, so that you, oh, nice. so I could test how each one sounds and feels. I mean, I'm on my keyboard all day long, like a lot of people are, and I just I want it to be perfect. So when I when I get around to uh, this, the getting the perfect key, the keyboard. This might be the one to get. So that's a good pick. Um, but uh, I will, I will hold back and not not buy it this week. Uh, <laughs> so my pick is also uh, somewhat keyboard related. Um, so one of the things that for me is, I, you know, again, I sit at this desk all, all day, you know, editing, making podcasts, that sort of thing. I need to stand once in a while, and I can't afford to buy a, you know, one of those mechanical desks, standing desks. So what I do is instead I have my computers and monitors are on uh, um, Visa arms, the adjustable arms, uh, so I can raise those up. But I have a portable laptop stand, and I have it, I have it here with me next to me, and I keep it next to the desk, and it's articulated. I can adjust the the arms. The, there's uh, three pivot points on each leg on each side. And I can raise it up to the perfect height for me when I'm standing. Uh, 
Uh, I'm shorter than others uh, people, so I have a different height requirement than other people do. Uh, and I can even get a nice tilt on it. And this one, if I was a, on a laptop, would be nice because it has uh, fans built into it. And it's it's not that expensive. Um, and uh, it has, uh, even better, it has a, a little additional platform you can attach to either side, depending if you're lefty or righty, for your mouse or, in my case, trackpad, because you got to have a place to put that. Uh, you know, you can't be bending over to reach for that while you're typing. So, and it's such a nice way to just like, sometimes in the afternoon, I just want to stand for a little bit. And, uh, you know, sometimes after lunch, <laughs> I need some more coffee. I'm a little, feeling a little tired and dozy. Uh, you know, it's warm in here. And, and I, I stand up for a little while, get some energy, you know, that sort of thing, change my position. And that that is perfect for it. So it's a portable laptop adjustable stand. There's there's a whole bunch of similar ones on Amazon. Uh, I'll put a link to the one that I bought. And let me see what was it. It was um it was thirty eight ninety. So I wanted something that was a little more uh sturdy. It's it's metal. It's aluminum, uh not plastic uh for the for the main part of it. So it's a little sturdier. So it. I think it'll last a little longer and it doesn't bounce when I type on it, which is a very important too. That would have been uh, annoying. So I, I recommend uh, checking it out. If that's something that might be uh, something you might not, uh, might want, uh, might be useful to you. And, and, it, and when I'm done with it, when I want to sit back down again, I just take the keyboard off and I slide it back down to, you know, the floor next to my desk. And, and if I want to, I can fold it right up flat and I could even fit it in my backpack if I wanted to take it somewhere, uh, if I fold it all the way up. So, uh, it's a it's a handy little handy little device. So that's a, a portable laptop stand. So I think that does it for us this week. And uh, I I, I want to first before we we sign off, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology this week, including Dante V, Caroline K, Wendy T, Bradley J, and Cynthia A. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology and all the shows we do at StarQuest. Uh, and if you if you have any way that you could help us to continue this mission we have of, and for this show in particular, exploring technology from a Catholic point of view, uh, we would really appreciate it if you would go to sqpn.com slash give and do whatever you can. We, we really do appreciate that. So that's it from us. What did you think of our discussion of these the various topics of uh, our tips of the week, our picks of the week, about hearing aids and smartphones, or about being polite to your uh, smart assistant, uh, let us know, like I said before, by visiting sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, and leave us some feedback there. Or you can send us an email to technology at sqpn.com, and you'll find all the relevant links for the discussion on our show, uh, on our show notes on sqpn.com. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. And Pat Scott, thank you as well. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest.